Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub, COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. This is Series 5, Session 2. It's Thursday the 6th of May 2021. Welcome back to our Echo Network Session and today it's titled The Vaccine Rollout Revisited, Access to Vaccination in the Western Victoria Regions. So we're now in our fifth series of the COVID Pandemic Response Echo and it's been over 14 months since both the WHO declared this pandemic and that we've been meeting together as a group on Thursday mornings. This is our second of our sessions in the monthly format and it's been an interesting month for primary care, PHUs, state vaccination centres and for the public and in the media to say the least. In the beginning of our fourth series, we worked through a group uh, as a group to develop models of care for vaccination in GP clinics. And we struggled with a number of uncertainties and variables that compromised our planning. Many of the concerns we had regarding booking systems and supply did in fact play out over the month. Uh, Concerns regarding thrombosis and thrombocytopenia syndrome amplified and the federal government adopted the ATAGI advice regarding the risk and safety analysis for AstraZeneca, resulting in a new iteration of the vaccine rollout strategy for under 50s. And the vaccine rollout limped along in public view and we witnessed the tussle between the federal responsibility and um, state control play out with the federal government again calling a war cabinet and what we can only imagine was a plea for help from the states. So this morning, we've got a number of questions to cover. So how is the phase 1B and early 2A um, rollout progressing in primary care? What has changed from a federal and state governance point of view? And how is this playing out on the ground in regional Victoria? How can eligible under 50s access Pfizer and vulnerable groups access AstraZeneca at this time in our region? And what's coming up in the planning pipeline? How are remaining 1A groups being vaccinated, like nursing home staff and GPs visiting nursing homes, or I guess they're part of that second group, but how are the under 50s receive their vaccination, both healthcare workers, critical care workers, and the medically eligible? How will those those with mobility issues and those not engaged in primary care access vaccination in the 1B and 2A groups? And how can we most effectively communicate the balance of risks regarding TTS as we proceed with this rollout? So... There's a lot to talk about this morning and we've got a great um, crew here to um, work together this morning. So as we do in ECHO, I guess we're covering all things, um, pathways and principles, thinking about how we're putting it all into practice in primary care, thinking about policies and guidelines that might be relevant to the topic this morning. Um, really, the focus today is discussing emerging models of care with a focus on vaccination and um, talking about our real world, world experiences of implementing these models of care, building our knowledge about resources, supports and referral pathways and engaging in a community of practice. All right, so into the details, uh, as, as, you, as you're kind of quite familiar with, we've got Kate Graham giving us the uh, Health Pathways presentation. She's the GP clinical editor of the COVID Pathways, leading um, those for Vic and Taz, so it's great um, to hear about that. Callum Mags is an infectious diseases physician, clinical lead specialist of the SICK clinic, the Vic um, Specialist Immunisation Clinic, and he'll be talking this morning about TTS. Robin Wilson, Operations Director at Grampian Public Health Unit, um, uh, is going to be telling us about what's happening in their um, rollout over the last month or since we last caught up with Robin. And we'd like to introduce Mr. Coleman to the 
those of you who haven't met Misha, Misha's the co-director of the Barwon Public Health Unit um, and she'll be letting us know a bit about what's happening in the Barwon and Greater South Coast area. Deb Harley is going to be our GP case presenter this morning. Thank you, Deb. And she'll let us know, um, I guess, a bit about a day in the life of a GP vaccinator um, in the last month and how that's been playing out. And, and she'll be putting some questions to the group um, about, I guess, the, the primary care rollout going forward and thinking about some special populations that we might need to be um, considering as part of this next phase. So with that, that's all from me. I'd like to now um, hand over to uh, Kate Graham. Thanks, Kate. Good morning, everyone. I um, hope you've all had a very interesting month, as have most of us, I think. Um, so what I thought I'd start with is just having a little look at the COVID vaccine rollout strategy, um, which you know, we have had changes, but it hasn't necessarily been as clear as we'd like. Um, and, you know, some of that is due to the fact that we're in an emerging landscape and things will change. We knew at the start that things would change when we weren't getting the vaccination uh, vaccine numbers um, delivered that we we're expecting. Um, and so we've had to sit in a bit of a moving landscape. Currently, what we have now is that all adults aged over 50 in Australia are eligible for vaccination. Um, what we don't have is possibly the Pfizer supply or the access to Pfizer to vaccinate all of our phase 1A, 1B um, eligible people at the moment. So what we have to do is um, work on finding access for those people who really need it. Um, prioritising people and figuring out how to do that in a way that works with our own clinics. So that's something that I hope we'll hear a lot more about today. Um, but just keeping in mind um, that some of the terminology, when you think about the phase 1B, 1A, phase 2, phase 2 is really um, kind of irrelevant at the moment in terms of the fact that all phase 2A over 50 have been moved through. So we may hear more as time goes on. Um, one of the next things that I'd like to look at is possibly if we could get up the next slide, which is about how we actually get access um, to people who need um, different ways of looking at things. So in particular, our age group over, than, over 50 should um, be able to have, in most cases, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and that's available in most locations um, across our region. So that's where things are easy. What's not easy is the fact that we've been having to deal with vaccine hesitancy from people aged over 50 without contraindications. And one of the things that I wanted to flag today and really emphasise is that the only way that people can have um, an allergy or a contraindication to the AstraZeneca vaccine verified and dealt with is if they are referred to the specialist immunisation services or the specialist immunisation clinics. And really, we need to be looking at the criteria for who is eligible um, and what kind of contraindications are significant contraindications. So... What we've got now is a primary care referral guidance to the Victorian Specialist Immunisation Services. There's another associated document um, that we've got up on Health Pathways, but that is also up on the Victorian Department of Health website as an attachment to guidelines. 
which is about brand choice um, for people and sort of goes through who's eligible for which vaccination, depending on which category they fit into. Um, with the referral guidance, when you proceed through this kind of pathway to look at the Victor referral to VIXIS, the referral form um, also incorporates in the first page of it a lot of information about who's eligible to be referred, how to refer, and the fact that referrals need to be sent now direct to the clinic. Um, so in this case, this will be to the Barwon Clinic for all regional Victorians. So the other things that I've just wanted to touch on were, I've just lost my document, which I was going to work from, so I'll be doing that off, um, off kind of the back of my limited memory this morning. Um, so <laughs> we've been working on access because that is one of our key topics. Um, so health pathways, we've been trying to add in at the bottom of the procedure pathway and at the bottom of the information page, information about booking clinics uh, and how to book, um, particularly sort of age group related things. And so we're hoping to hear a little bit more today as well from um, our public health units about how we can access sort of vaccinations for healthcare workers and things like that. Another sort of new thing, GPs are eligible to provide vaccination clinics as in-reach clinics for workers in aged care centres, um, residential aged care, if they communicate with the PHN on this matter because um, the vaccination doses timings need to be um, reported for this. So in some regions, this may be the preferred option or for areas where there are only a small percentage of the workforce aged over 50 because they'll be the ones eligible for the AstraZeneca vaccination. Um, so otherwise, in the health pathways world, we have just been sort of keeping, keeping our heads above water, um, adapting to sort of find all the new information that is required. Um, we've been sort of adding in the updated documents as they rise, but um, just make, making sure that you're checking any existing documents from the Department of Health because a lot of them have been updated as well. Um, and also, finally, just checking um, in on the education modules from the Department of Health that you would have completed before doing the vaccination training. There are really regular updates on them. They summarise the updates so you can get quickly to the parts um, of the information that have changed. So um, just keep us in the loop if you hear anything different or if any of the information seems not right on any of the booking stuff, let us know and we can change that really rapidly now. We're working on a system which means that you can look there for all the information that you need. Great. Thanks, Kate. That's great. Over to you, Callum. Hi, guys. Um, I won't take up too much time because there's a lot of speakers. Um, all I'll talk about <clears throat> really is what's on everyone's mind, and um, that's TTS or VITS or VIFID, whatever you want to call it. Um, so our local experience in Australia, people probably saw 7.30 report last night with Norman Swan talking briefly with some numbers. <clears throat> that's the experience overseas. Um, I'll just talk a bit about our local experience. So we've had um, six probable cases uh, of TTS in Australia after uh, 1.1 million doses of AstraZeneca, and that was as of late April, and I haven't heard of any more cases happening um, since then. Um, basically, um, the, the experience of one of our local hospitals with 
the patient, uh, the first patient that actually uh, experienced TTS was, he was fairly um, irate at the government because he felt that there was a signal overseas and that they had adopted the risk for him. So I think that points to the uh, the need to uh, basically consent people um, fairly strongly uh, about the, the risk, but it's also getting people to understand the risk. Um, and and in Australia, there's only been one case in an over 50-year-old um, after that many doses, um, and overseas the rates in over 50s are looking at somewhere between 1 in 100 to 120,000. Um, the mortality is coming down as well as we're recognising the condition earlier. Um, so it's a treatable condition as, as long as you recognise it. Um, unfortunately, there were some complications in our first patient because it was... Uh, recognised late and it was still while the world was grappling with, with the concept. Um, and from a, from a VIXIS or a, a you know, specialist immunisation clinic point of view, um, we're getting a lot of um, calls and referrals uh, for people uh, requesting Pfizer uh, and, and some, some other specialists and GPs are actually recommending people have the Pfizer, which is against the eligibility criteria um, for conditions that are unrelated. So, with the TTS syndrome, there's no known risk factors. We've listed uh, a history of heparin-induced thrombocytopenia syndromes um, as a contraindication to having AstraZeneca, but that's not even a known risk factor in itself. It's, it's an immune-generated syndrome. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone has about uh, about this, but um, basically we're happy if, if you're having real trouble with vaccine hesitancy um, and the patient really wants a Pfizer and is not willing to wait um, for further data or other vaccines to become available, um, we're very happy to be involved in a phone call with them as a telehealth consult. Um, but uh, please just avoid um, recommending to the patient that they have the Pfizer because um, that, that puts us in a tricky position and, and people become fairly abusive when they're coming in with expectations. Callum, um, so if we are putting them through to you, I guess we're not going through some of the formal pathways. Is there a way that people can refer just for that hesitancy consult via telehealth? Absolutely. If, if the patient really wants um, some specialist advice, we have, we're, we're easily contactable. So there's a, a COVID vaccine hotline with an option to get through to our clinic um, at the hospital and I can um, provide those details. I think I've already given it to you before, Bianca. Um, and there's an email as well. So vicsis, V-I-C-S-I-S at bioandhealth.org.au. Uh, and we, we've always got someone keeping an eye on that email as well. So they'll, they'll get back to you pretty promptly. Um, and we can always escalate you know, tricky cases. We'll either refer ourselves to our clinic if it's a tricky case or we'll escalate to the DHS or if it's... um specifically related to another question, we can escalate that to another um, fix this site as well in Melbourne. Great. And are you happy to just take secondary consults or just um, answer GP's questions and um, so that they can manage the consult themselves if that's... Um... Yeah, that's what we're there for. We've got, we've got a, a manned... We've got uh, nurse specialists who deal with these questions day in, day out um, on the phone. They also are backed up by um, registrars uh, working within this field so they're used to dealing with these questions quite a bit and i'm always there as well so we're very happy to provide that support as well um so if you're not sure if it warrants a referral please just get in touch and we can have a chat about it that's great thanks um so send any questions through on the chat are you going to be able to stick around Callum, or do you have to head off you know i'm here 
Okay, great. Um, there's some hesit- there's, there's hesitancy about vaccination and we're spending time encouraging people to have vaccination, Medicare refusing to pay for these consultations. It's tricky, isn't it? So I'd be keen to hear, you know, guys, how much has things changed for you in regards to those consults because that was the initial concern was that the um, really those vaccine conversations weren't really built into the Medicare remuneration. So how's that impacting upon you guys? These are some of the things we want to get f- GP feedback on this morning. But we won't hang there. I'm going to thank you, Callum, and I'm going to now pass over to Robin Wilson um, to let us know what's happening um, with the Ballarat Public Health Unit, the Grampians and Goldfield Public Health Unit. Thanks. And hi, thanks, Bianca, and hi, everybody. Um, really good to hear from you, Callum. Um, just from our experience, we have people are coming with um, letters from their GPs saying that they're eligible to have Pfizer even though they're over 50, um, and that puts us in that awkward position, and we tend to go with that because we just we don't want our um, frontline staff trying to um, have those hard decisions if it's if they've got medical advice. But we also know that any person over fifty receiving Pfizer means someone over fifty won't won't be eligible for the vaccine, and um, and you know if they didn't need it in the first place, that that puts someone else um, at risk. So really um, appreciate your support, and we'll certainly um, share that information here locally as well. That's really helpful. Um, what's happening in Ballarat? We've um, opened to our over fifties this week, um, and. Uh, had a really strong response um, from the over 50s age group, which has been great. We've uh, our sub hubs, so we have a, a hub model and then two sub hubs, one based in Ararat and one in Horsham. And from there, we have spoke models that go into smaller communities around them, working very strongly in partnerships with all the health services and healthcare providers across our region. Um, we're providing inreach. Um, Back up services into the supported residential services, and we've done quite a few of those in the Ballarat region. Some of those will offer transport from people with rooming houses and bring them to site, our site. We're also um, opened up to the um, disability services and private residential aged care staff are coming in as well. Uh, we um, and doing uh, inreach into the prisons, working with correct care and working to deliver vaccine to. Um, Meatworks or bringing them on site as well. So just looking at all different models to uh, make the vaccine more accessible. In some of our smaller towns, Maryborough, Stall and Ararat in particular, we are running a sort of a conjoint um, vaccine facility with um, Commonwealth, uh, working with the GP, so the Commonwealth vaccine in the morning, using staff from the health services to help the GPs run that clinic and in the afternoons they use state vaccine. Um, and that's working really well, using our resources to the best of their ability from the outlooking to the um, public. It just looks like they're coming to the vaccine clinic and we're managing the Commonwealth um, state management of volume of vaccines. So that's working quite well and it's really where we needed to go to um, make it as accessible as we could to people. Uh, uh, we're using the, call, the state call centre for people to get their vaccines and that's, they're still... Um, working through the logistics of trying to manage huge numbers of calls and getting them to the right, getting the call person booked into the right clinic at the right time with the right information. So there's still quite a bit of um, smoothing out that process uh, for people accessing appointments online, which is which has been difficult for all of the providers as well. But, you know, we're getting, getting better all the time. Um, I think that's all from me. Actually, I meant to say this, the um, reports back to uh, us from our rural partners is the hesitancy has been really strong. Um, some townships are particularly anti-vaccine and um, so we're 
um, planning to organise them. Um, we, we've had Rachel Cowan talk to some health services and have um, broad uh, Q&As with all health healthcare providers, but healthcare providers in particular have been re um, reluctant to have their vaccine as well. So it's been, hasn't uh, just been the public, healthcare providers have been, healthcare workers, sorry, have been reluctant to have the vaccine, which has been hard for everyone making all the effort to try and get it to them and then they don't want even when it even though we're delivering Pfizer now out to all the um all, all the small health services oh that's interesting okay um all right so I'm not seeing anything come through to the chat so we will move on thank you Robin we'll no doubt be back to you with some questions when we do our case discussion um Misha Coleman hi good morning can you hear me okay Bianca yes not a problem at all Oh, thanks for having me. I'm just um, on my way into the Ford, um, the old Ford factory site where we're running a, um, a mass fax um, clinic and we have capacity there for about 2,000 doses per day. Um, but at this point in time, we, we haven't been um, supplied with, with that level of stock. So we're doing roughly um, 1,000 doses per day there. And for people who want to book in either themselves um, or their patients, uh, it, there's a fairly standard um, uh, booking tool that we're using uh, on the Bowen Health website. So if you just Google Bowen Health um, COVID immunisation, uh, there's links there to all of the available clinics, uh, both for under 50s and for over 50s. Um, with regards to under 50s and the Pfizer um, eligibility, the, the I guess the guidance on eligibility gets updated quite regularly and there was um, new guidance issued towards the end of, late, of last week. And so the, the 1A, 1B um, eligibility document is quite useful because um, there, are, there are always sort of new subcategories that are not just being added but... It, clarity is being provided so for example um uber drivers um that type of cohort that that was sort of clarified in terms of um uh, their eligibility last week so if if you don't have access to that um bianca i'm happy to share that uh for people on the call or for members because we we find it quite useful ourselves in terms of triaging people who um come through the front door right um, i think someone's on the hunt for that document i um i'm, I'm yeah. seeing if some, one of my team's looking tracking that down so we can put the link in the chat so but um we'll see how we go and we might ask you to send that through misha because we can email it out tomorrow yeah thanks. Sure thing. so um there's now 22 open access clinics as they're called which basically means places where you don't need to have a booking you can just um drop in so that that's not an unlimited we don't have an unlimited capacity to to allow people just to drop in because you know we have to have enough um vaccine available and drawn up but we we haven't been exhausting that um drop-in capacity at the ford site at least not yet and we're also working through um the 12 regional health services across Bowen, so that's and sort of enabled quite a decentralized um approach to to vaccination um I guess going forward, um, there's still a conversation about the responsibility for residents and staff um, in the disability sector um, and those sort of conversations about Commonwealth um, state responsibility are, you know, evolving, I, I guess I would say. Um, but otherwise, um, 
things are going very well. I think we probably vaccinated about 70% of eligible healthcare workers, which means there's 30% who are not vaccinated. Um, and we're also, we started our, um, our staff flu um, campaign uh, this, this week as well. So just sort of um, scheduling flu in, but we're still trying desperately to, to get the remaining 30% of the, um, the eligible healthcare workers um, vaccinated. So I'll leave it there and happy to take any questions, Bianca. Great. Thanks, Misha. All right. So Mick, I wonder if you'd bring yourself on the line because I'm keen to hear from you, Mick's um, GP out in Ararat. And, um, you know, Mick was uh, raising around the modelling some considerations in the early days about what you were going to do with those precious doses. So I'm just keen if you're in a position where you can bring yourself off mute um, for you to ask your question, but also um, let us know how things are going. Oh, there you are. Good morning. Morning, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's going along fairly well. There's certainly been some vaccine hesitancy um, come in, but um, it seems to be particularly people who have had uh, things like DVTs and so on in the past. Um, if you could have a conversation with most of these people, they are then quite happy to have the vaccine. So the issue often seems to be trying to have a conversation with them. Um, and get into that stage, I think so. And people are not often coming forward to um, to have the chat. The most common thing is when they're coming for their flu vaccine. I think somebody else has mentioned that on the chat line, that that's a great chance to do it. And whenever we've had that conversation while doing flu vaccines, uh, people have usually then come on board with the um, COVID vaccine quite happily. Um, so doing quite well. There's a couple of big populations now at I mentioned on the chat line, one is our local prison and the prison officers, and the other is we've got a number of residential disability um, houses. And I'm just hearing from staff uh, in those places that there's a lot of uncertainty as to when they're going to be done. And I would have thought they'd be pretty high-priority places in, uh, in our app. <clears throat> and that also give the, if you can vaccinate the prison, you've got about uh, 800 residents plus uh, 500 staff. So that's a fair whack of people in the community you can get done in one in one position so that would make it quite uh, quite easy to get in and get those done so but i think overall in our ad between ourselves and the hospital we've been working together we think we've covered uh, a, a large proportion of the um of the over 70s in town uh and we've done uh, done pretty well in that regard so uh, it's going reasonably well but there's certainly been a lot of drop off in in recent weeks and we've got um a lot more uh, possibilities to vaccinate than we have um, people coming in to get it done. Okay. What's happening with your, I know there was some conversation about your local nursing home. So you'd even thought because one A wasn't coming, yeah, because you were getting your vaccine supply ahead of the one A, there was that temptation to go in and use your stock to vaccinate the nursing home residents. I'm keen to hear what happened with that. Yeah, we, we didn't do that. The local uh, hospital uh, have now done the aged care facilities around the, the our app, and now I think they've gone out to uh, smaller. They're going out to smaller communities as well, and doing the vaccine at places like Elmhurst and uh, Woolora and Lake Bolac and other places. So, between the the hospital and ourselves, um, we we're communicating pretty regularly it's about what each other's doing and trying to um, provide a united front and. Um, I think, as Robin may have said, um, the hospital are 
you know, giving uh, one staff member to us for a half a day, three days a week to help with our vaccine so that it takes a little bit of pressure off our medical centre staff. Well, that's so great. It's been, been a great combination. Yeah, that's great to hear. Okay, great. Um, so that's interesting. Your 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 just to clarify, your suggestion is for the prison that there's um, such a high volume of staff and and obviously inmates in the one place that an inreach clinic would best serve that population. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got eight hundred people there who are literally quite captive and can't run away from it. Um, but you've also got. Um, You've also got uh, probably, I'm not sure, I think it's about 400 or 500 staff members involved at the prison. So it seems a logical place to, to run a clinic specifically there uh, right. to get those people done. Now, granted, uh, quite a number of the staff, of course, will be under 50, um, but because there's such a large number of them, uh, the logistics become quite easy. And that would that gives a huge cover to the town and the region if you get that, uh, that spot done. Okay, great. Let's hear what Robin has to say. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, working with Correct Care, we'll be delivering Pfizer and AstraZeneca on site at, at Hopkins and Langi Calcal. I think um, they've asked us to bring the Corella residents and I think it's in something um, in, onto this on site. But um, yeah, so that's definitely the model to take Pfizer and, um, and AstraZeneca on site, working with Correct Care to deliver it. And the um, Ararat will help with Hopkins and Ballarat will support Langi Calcal because of the distance. Um, and yes, yes, definitely. And I think it's about eighteen hundred people altogether, including staff and um, and, and prisoners. So just um, Kate, also if you don't mind, Bianca, Kate asked no, the numbers for people to, for healthcare workers working um, in the region who want their vaccine. So I can give you the numbers. I can put them in the chat. But East Grampians, Marybar, and Store will have a number we can call to book in locally if you're there. Otherwise, you can come into the. Um, uh, you can either walk in or book into the grant, the Ballarat um, clinic. So I'll put those numbers in the chat for you. That's great. I know Ben Cowie was making a call out last night at the RACGP webinar that healthcare workers um, could book also through that state hotline. Is that another? Yeah, but the state hotline we haven't we haven't um, pulled in all of our smaller health services. They're not accessible by the, the call centre yet. There's quite a bit of work to get their um, sessions up and get the scripting right for people taking those calls so they book them into the right places. Um, so we've been trying to still iron that out with Ballarat, so we're a bit reluctant to open that up right down the region until we get those, those, um, that messaging correct so the, the, the um, appointments get made correctly. But I can give them, we've got local numbers, so I can share yes. them here with you. I'll pop them in the chat for you. Yeah, great, thanks. And just to clarify, Michelle, just to make sure I get this right, that for healthcare workers in Barwon and Greater Southwest, um, you said to Google the Barwon Health um, COVID vaccination and go through that way. Um, yeah, there's a there's a all all of the clinics are available to be booked in in a sort of self service um, functionality just by going to the Bowen Health website. Okay, great. Are you getting many um, uh, healthcare workers who've had one dose of AstraZeneca under, who are under fifty who've had their first dose of AstraZeneca wanting to jump ship and and start on the Pfizer program and and what's been the discussions around that? Nope. Yeah, there's been a smattering of people across all cohorts, not just healthcare workers, um, who are interested in uh, the degree to which they can, you know, switch um, vaccines. But um, that's not recommended, as you know. So we're not um, we're not uh, we're not going down that path. Mm, thanks. Well, I've got you on the line. What I'm keen to hear what's happened at Barwon Prison. Has there been? Uh, have you gotten up to that yet? 
Yeah, so as um, Robin said, there's um, there's a sort of new arrangement which is is currently being bedded down, uh, and and that's a partnership with um, so in our case with Barwon Health and, and Correct Care, and that it's an in reach model um, for the three correctional facilities in the Barwon catchment, and so. The model is that um, our public health unit and pharmacy team support the nurse immunisers um, who are provided by correct care. And it's an in-reach model that's designed for um, the residents. Um, staff are encouraged to come to, you know, either their GP or to uh, any of the other sort of, you know, publicly available locations at this point in time and we're starting with the um starting with uh, an AstraZeneca campaign and then we'll move on to a Pfizer campaign in a sort of second phase if you like. Okay great good to hear now I want to just pick up before we move on to Deb Harley's case I just wanted to pick up on um, that other thread that Mick put forward about the residential disability sector and staff and residents um so I guess the first thing I wonder um Misha and Robin and I can see Robin's just um, brought herself off mute so I might throw to you next is you know what kind of line of sight you have over this sector and uh, is that something that um you know you're you know where you're able to approach and work with that sector directly or is there some need to work with um primary care on that and um, yeah, what what plans are in the pipeline? Thanks. I know you mentioned something before about some um, transport and. Uh, yes, well, uh, just quietly, we sort of jumped a bit ahead of the ahead of the line, and with disabilities, and we we've, we've been booking them in into slots in the afternoons uh, for by disability facility, and staff and residents have been coming in, and actually, it's been really good. They came in before we opened to the under over fifties, which was a quieter and it wasn't as busy. And I'm really glad we had a lot of them come through at that point because it was better suited to their um, their needs. <clears throat> um, so we're working through those at the moment. So we've got a sort of a steady booking for them to come in locally here. And we're working with um, other towns where there's um, res- um, uh, disability services, especially in Stall and Warrignerville. They've got quite a few residences, residential facilities there, a lot of houses. And um, just working on how we deliver that to them. Do we take it on site? Do we bring them in? How, we, how do we best do that? And we'll have to work that out individually depending on the needs of the people living in each house. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks, Misha. How, what about yourselves? What kind of line of sight do you have over this sector? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's been um, really tricky, um, as Robin said, you know, because it is, it was one of those um, sectors that the Commonwealth did want to take responsibility for, but um, we've, we've now sort of um, opened our doors, both in terms of public access and, you know, some in-reach capacity as well, because we are really worried about um, the staff and the, and the residents uh, in that sector. So um, next week, we're actually going to trial um, a few in-reach um, clinics to four sites, I believe. And, and, you know, it's, 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 I guess we're taking it slowly um, and there's a lot of work to be done, obviously, with, with you know, with ensuring people um, have consented and, you know, all of that type of thing as well. But we're really um, trying to have the most inclusive um, approach we can while at the same time not, not stepping on the toes of, um, you know, providers who, you know, are mandated to sort of look after those sectors, I guess. Mm. 
Okay, thanks. Thanks, Misha. All right, Deb Harley, I'm going to invite you forward now and we'll present, um, we've just got a couple of slides from Deb. So Deb's going to present the perspective of GPs. Um, and uh, interestingly, just while we're queuing that up, there's been a great conversation in the chat about um, the our children, teens and adolescents. And um, so we might try and see if we can cap off on that before we finish. All right, over to you, Deb. So that concludes the panel presentation for this session. We'll bring you any other snippets that we can, but come along and join the discussion next week. We'll take that conversation around the disabilities. As, as Linda says, she'll provide some updates and no doubt working alongside our public health units to um, you know work towards supporting that group. Great that there's no prevalence at the moment in Vic, although New South Wales sounds like it may be kicking off. Um, thanks, everyone, for attending. And um, Gemma's put a survey in the chat. We love to evaluate everything we do, so do jump on and tell us. Um, what are the burning questions are going on for you around this topic that we didn't cover today? There were some things around children and achos and what's happening there. Tell us what else and um, that will help us curate next session. Um, plug for our AOD and Youth Mental Health Network. Both have kicked off now and we've had some fantastic attendance, really interesting conversations. And um, and, and these are on Mondays, 12.45 to 2. Um, so what's coming up is we're going to be, um, you know, working with um, tackling stigma, looking at um, the service sector in AOD and for youth, we're going to be talking about ACEs and trauma and um, really cracking into those perpetuating factors that um, really stop people from getting better. And of course, that important topic of risk assessment. So if you haven't already and you want to, you can come along. Um, nice to see some of our COVID echo crew there. Um, do come. It's again, a really great community of practice that are emerging for these two topics. So thanks everyone and um, have a good month. We'll see your first week of the month uh, in June. So I think that's probably somewhere in the second third fourth of June uh, and until then um, of course get in touch with us at COVID Echo or you know get just just email us on our Echo line and um, and you know who to contact we've put Linda um, Linda's email I think in the chat so get in touch with her about um, any of those issues she described thanks all have a good week have a good month this series was brought to you by the West Vic PHN. I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. I'd like to acknowledge the work of Gemma Misbach, Natalie Love, Fiona Quigley, Matt Dixon and Kate Graham for their work in coordination, support and contribution to this series. These audio catch-ups are produced by Gemma Misbach, myself and Jade Buller. Come along and join the discussions on Thursday mornings at 7.30am via Zoom. You can register on the West Vic PHN website by looking up Project Echo COVID-19. All sessions are RACGP and ACRAM accredited as a time-based activity and CPD certificates are available for non-GP participants. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.